0: Welcome to Doctor Who A to Z, a show that covers everything Doctor Who, from beginning to end, from 1963 to present, from Hartnell to Gatwa, from Auton to Zygon. All right, so this week we are talking about the third Doctor classic, well, I think it's a classic, Invasion of the Dinosaurs. This is from season 11, which is John Pertwee's fifth season on the show. It is written by Malcolm Hulk, directed by Patty Russell. And I am here with my friend, Nathan Laws. We're going to be talking about this one. Nathan, I I put out a little call for people who wanted to join me on the show to talk about ones. And he mentioned this one as, uh, how did you describe it?
1: Uh oh! Uh, I, I, it's it's maligned by fandom. I think is fairly
0: maligned. That's yes. what it was, and I hundred percent agree with that. So tell me about Invasion of the Dinosaurs. What is it about this story that you? Uh, I mean, I think you mentioned three that you would like to do, and this was one of them. What is it about that's about this story that's kind of special?
1: Uh, yeah, because I think that um, this is the story, and, and it, I think it kind of speaks to overall what I really like about the Pertwee era, because you have Terrence Dix as script editor and you have Barry Letts as producer. And they're two people who come from very wide ideological standpoints, Mm. but it's not like nowadays when things are so polarized that everybody hates each other for having different viewpoints. (laughs) They, they sort of, they can see that each other has different viewpoints and they sort of like create these scenarios that are like, okay, like pick apart your own ideology within the story and and let's see how it can go wrong and then throwing malcolm hulk into the mix right. malcolm hulk is a communist so you've got a third ideology mm-hmm. you know it makes barry Letts is a is a um a buddhist you've got terence dix is an imperialist of all things <laughs> <laughs> you know very much uh you know the british empire is a great thing kind of guy uh i right. and- you know and so it's interesting because all three of these people respect each other even though they come from these very different ideological standpoints Mm -hmm. and so because of that i feel like the characters that they create and the scenarios that they create feel a lot more real when I think that a lot of television now including Doctor Who now can get into this sort of preachy mindset of you know we're taking a position and we're just going to ram it down your throat and I and I much more prefer the more nuanced approach of you know no, no one is perfectly good no one is perfectly evil and even sometimes when we can agree with the ideals or the goals that these people are trying to achieve might they not be doing them in the wrong way and and mm. so we sort of examine these things from different angles, and that's and that's what Invasion of the Dinosaurs gets you. Like, the dinosaurs are the MacGuffin, and they're the thing that yeah. doesn't hold up, which is the bad part You know, like that's the thing. Like the, you come because t- dinosaurs are in the title, and then you're disappointed by that. And I think that's where a lot of people stop. But if you examine the story, right, it's a story that's very nuanced about uh, environmentalism, about you know mm-hmm. trying to create a better world, but also the idea of extremism and the idea of you know, like doing it like in
0: entirely the wrong way. Right. And you said nuanced approach. And I mm-hmm. think that that is sort of the defining quality of Malcolm Hulk's writing. Mm-hmm. In all of his scripts, I find that he has the ability to explore a moral conundrum from multiple angles. And even when there's a character that is essentially the bad guy of the piece, you understand him. You know, you understand the decisions that that they make or the, you know, the processes that they that they live by. And I find his writing so complex, but so accessible at the same time. Yeah, we, I, I completely
1: agree with that. And and the thing is, he also understands how to tell a good yarn. Yeah, because there's twists in this story like actual legitimate twists where a lot of doctor who stories follow like a certain formula mm. and so it's like you kind of know okay well this is when we reveal the monster and you know this is when this happens and invasion of the dinosaurs like throw some curveballs at
0: you exactly and you know that's a good technique to have when you're you know the majority of the pertwee era is seven or six episode long stories you need those things to you know to renew interest in the story because you know if you're just telling a straightforward story for six episodes, it might get a little, you know, Mm -hmm. tedious. Yeah. (laughs) Um, on that point, the cliffhanger where Sarah Jane has been kidnapped, she wakes up, she doesn't know where she is, and they say, You're on a spaceship to another planet and you've been here for three months. That is one of the great moments in the whole Pertwee era, I think. Mm-hmm. It's just this killer cliffhanger that just throws you for a loop. Yeah,
1: no, I mean, because there's nothing, you know, they they've they've done some off the wall, like strange things in Pertwee stories before. So you don't know, like that could be completely legitimate. And so yeah, exactly. it, it's a legit like, you know, usually the cliffhangers and not a lot of the cliffhangers in Doctor Who aren't really that great, you know, like <laughs> but you know, that's one that literally leaves you like sort of wondering like what's gonna yeah. happen next episode.
0: Yeah. She looks out the portal and she sees earth like receding. That's just brilliant. That is good storytelling right there. Yeah. Another point about that is that in that next episode, and it's like almost halfway through that episode, she, you know, reaches up to her head to like, cause she's so confused. And then she's like, wait a minute, I've still got that, you know, that gash on my head that I had like 30 minutes ago. And it's, it's a point that is never really focused on. There's no dialogue about it. It's just her like doing a thing and you can see the recognition on her face. And it's like, the it just gets, it's so good from that point.
1: Yeah, I mean, speaking of Sarah Jane, like I think this is Sarah Jane at her best. Uh, I know that, you know, Fourth Doctor and Sarah is considered the iconic pairing. But I really love Sarah in season 11 and think that in a lot of ways, she's at her best in season 11 um, because uh, they they allow her to be the investigative journalist. And she has a lot of agency, whereas Tom is such a dominating personality that even though I know they get along very well, like she's one of the few people he got along with off screen as well. But, you know, they get along very well. She's relegated to like a sidekick role once Tom is there but while but when she's there with John it feels like she is an equal like she's not his intellectual equal but she's an equal in that she can do things and achieve things you -hmm. know even when she's not with him and you know I really like that you know role for Sarah and I really like the fact that she clues in. she just uses some simple deductive reasoning Mm -hmm. and she clues in right away something is fishy about this whole scenario and and yeah she never wavers for a second you know, once she's once she's got that in her head.
0: Right. And I think that that is particularly true. When you look at Tom's first season, when it's Tom and Harry Sullivan with Sarah Jane, and she kind of gets a little bit sidelined. And in her first season, the last season with with Pertwee, she is incredibly proactive. She is always thinking she's always taking some step forward in the story or in the the figuring out of the Mm -hmm. the mystery and i think that gets lost once you get into tom's first season Mm -hmm. and it's kind of it's a it's a great shame that that does get lost and i think some of that gets picked back up i think that um as you go forward in tom there's much less story being set on earth Mm -hmm. and i think that removes that element from sarah jane and i think when Pertly, she's it's very much earth-based and I think that she she's in her element she's in her profession basically and she's using her skills and I think it she's a dynamite character
1: oh yeah yeah and and yeah she's she's so good and she fits in so well with the other characters so quickly because you know we still got the unit family exactly you know in this in this story and so she and she fits in so well with that without being a callback to Joe You know, like she is her own character, but she is part of this dynamic.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think that with Joe, with being such a prominent character for three seasons, that's a tall order to step into that role. Katie leaves. Liz Sladen steps in and she just fits immediately and I think that that chemistry you know rightly so people talk about the relationship between Tom and Liz Sladen but I think that that relationship between her and Pertley is really strong yeah yeah I completely agree there
1: yeah no I mean and 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 I mean she and everything that she ever said like she had thought the world of uh of john you know also so yeah i think off screen they were also you know uh good friends Mm -hmm. and so you know yeah that that gives it this nice dynamic and the fact of the matter is the third doctor it's good to put like you know, it, it goes back to Liz, um, you know, uh, Shaw, yes. you know, where the doctor could have a companion that could keep him on his toes. And for as much as, you know, uh, Joe was a nice companion, Joe was very much a sidekick character. Like she was brought in as like, this is a young person that is, you know, someone that the, can look to the doctor, you know, as, you know, like, oh, you're this, you know, very smart man. I respect you, you know, so much and, you know, everything. But like, it's good sometimes to have a companion. You know, going back to, you know, the OG Barbara. That's right. Who can keep the doctor, you know, on on his toes. And, That's right. you know, give give a little bit of that frision. And she's got that frission with John. And I really yeah. love that.
0: Yeah. And you see that in her first story. And what I find so interesting about the transition for, of Sarah Jane from Pertwee into Tom Baker is that Robert Holmes becomes the script editor mm-hmm. during Tom Baker, those first few years. He's the one who wrote her introductory story Mm -hmm. and he writes her so independent and so strong-minded. So I I think it's really kind of interesting to see that even with him at the helm, that still gets lost a little bit. Yeah, no,
1: I I agree. But I mean, yeah, when he's writing like in Pyramids of Mars, Sarah is suddenly like, yeah, this is is Sarah Jane again. (laughs) You know, like this is (laughs) the assertive,
0: you know, strong character that I love, yeah. Exactly. Speaking of characters, I find it really interesting, especially in this last season, how they make an attempt to give a really unexpected character arc to Captain Yates. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so that's what I was talking about mostly when I was talking about the curveballs that the script throws you. Because it's great to have something that's a character thing like that, where Mm -hmm. suddenly a character that you've been following for years turns out to be uh, a traitor and again has betrayed everybody for reasons that seem, you know, at least uh, in some way coming from a good place, you know, and he thinks nobody's going to be harmed and he thinks that there's, you know, going, you know, like he, he doesn't realize the means necessarily that are being employed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they show that he's somewhat reluctant, even after they like reveal it to do anything that's outright, like harmful yeah, uh, to anyone. Um, so they, tr- they try to like show that there's a, you know, some, some, You know, it's not just, oh, he's just turned into a villain, you know, like he's still the same character, Mm -hmm. but it also makes sense when you put it in the context of this is a guy that the last time that we saw, you know, he he had had this mental, you know, like he had been controlled by this, uh, you know, computer. Mm -hmm. Um, and so his mind had been messed with and so it's nice to have something like that that doesn't feel like it comes out of left field that once they sort of explain what's happened and you start seeing that not only did this guy see like the horrors of what happens with uh you know um um, a corporation run amok sees like the the horrors of pollution Mm -hmm. that he might align himself with these basically Mm eco-terrorists um but at the same time uh, you know also the thing that he's he's mentally disturbed at this point you know like uh, you know he's had his mind messed with the sort of oh well maybe he's a little more receptive than he would have been if he hadn't gone through that and so you know again it just fits in so well even though they mm-hmm. didn't plan out you know a year ahead and right. say oh like this right. is what we're going to do with Yates so it's, it's nice to see that that without even the planning though it really works from a character perspective
0: yes uh, it know. all makes sense from the stuff that happened with him in the green death you can see how it shapes him into what we see here and then he gets a you know a little bit of a character redemption in the final story uh, planet of spiders and so he's got this great arc that you know arguably he may have been one of the least interesting characters on the show and all of a sudden he's got all this complexity and all this All these layers to him and i find it so interesting that they threw that in like toward the end like in the home stretch Mm -hmm. all of a sudden yates is a great interesting dynamic character
1: yeah it goes from rhip to uh (laughs) right you know the smarmy (laughs) guy who takes food almost literally out of benton's mouth right uh to you know like oh this guy has some depth to him like okay yeah uh, this is interesting
0: yeah yep and, and again, Malcolm Hulk, you, you totally understand that you connect with his motives. Mm-hmm. You know, they make sense. You want a better world. And, you know, maybe he's like sweet talked into buying into these weirdos idea of how to make that come about, you know, mm-hmm. it's great Yeah, Good stuff. Okay. So you mentioned it earlier on. So let's just talk about it. I mean, we're in, we're well into like 20, 30 years or whatever it is into the Jurassic Park era <laughs> of the world. <laughs> yes. Is it, is, are the dinosaurs a stumbling block for anybody at this point who would go back and watch that for the first time? Wow.
1: see so my perspective is strange Um, so because you were talking about cliffhangers earlier and that made me think about the fact that when I watched Doctor Who originally it was all in you know movie format you know what the British call omnibus Mm -hmm. and um, you know like so to me like the cliffhangers are something that have never really hit me that hard because I've either seen them when I I watched them on PBS when I was a kid or later on DVDs where I just skip forward to the next episode most of the time anyway Yeah. Um, and so a lot of that sort of comes in hindsight of just sort of thinking about it of oh yeah like if that was a break and you had to wait a week mm-hmm. like what would the you know the effect be um but also um because you know again I was young uh when I first saw that I remember, maybe eight uh when I first saw this and so like to me it was not a problem. Now this is also sure. pre-Jurassic Park. Right. This is this is <laughs> this is little me in the 1980s at some point um watching <laughs> you know watching this story and I was fine with it. Um, and uh (laughs) nowadays when kids have seen you know things with the cgi graphics and very like you know photorealistic dinosaur type you know creatures and whatnot is it a problem i don't know but yeah i've heard a lot of complaints and 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 if you ever see the polls you know, yeah. about, well, your ranked Doctor Who story like Invasion of the Dinosaurs is always like in like the bottom 10%, probably the bottom 5% of all these polls. And yeah. that's what everybody talks
0: about is that the doesn't... dinosaurs. Right. I mean, the... they're in the title. So you expect them sure. to be prominent. You expect them to be, you know, important and a focus. And then when you get the focus, it's like, well, you know. <laughs> and yeah. it's such a shame, too, because it's such an intelligently written story. mm mm-hmm.
1: And that's the thing. It's like the, the spectacle, like they they clearly like bet on the spectacle. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, in hindsight, exactly. of course, Barry Letts has said like, you know, like this was a complete mistake. You know, we were promised more, you know, we were right. promised by the people who were doing this that, you know, more than they could provide kind of reminiscent of chameleon later of course Um, yeah you know but but you know they believe that you know they had and then once you've got the episode already done and the script written and you've got all the other production stuff like you know when they show up with these dinosaurs that look (laughs) horrible what are you gonna do you gotta run with it exactly exactly but the sad thing is it can work because how it works is like the pterodactyl yes scene yes where you're not where you're, you're barely showing it. You're showing yeah. the effects of it. You're showing like the claws coming in exactly. and that kind of stuff. That's how you can use the dinosaurs well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Isn't that kind of stuff? But they had built it around the spectacle idea. That's why it falls apart.
0: Exactly. So as people say, when this comes out on Blu-ray, should the dinosaurs be replaced by better digital models? Should we get somebody who's worked on a pbs special or national geographic to make us some good dinosaurs and will that redeem the story for the people who have focused too much on the dinosaurs and not enough on the script itself
1: all right well i'm probably the worst person to ask about this i often find the new vfx that they add to classic who stories to be tacky (laughs) um (laughs) like battlefield's a great example of one where they've added all these like digital effects and i'm just like it it doesn't look like i i like the original looks better to me (laughs) it doesn't look as tacky as these because and that's the other problem is the bbc doesn't spend a lot of money i think when they go back and do these like you know it's it's different from how like say like when they went back and redid the original star trek and you can tell that Paramount mm-hmm. invested a lot of money in redoing the effects. Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, I'm a purist. And so even with the original Star Trek, I've watched them through with the new effects one time. But every time after that, I'm going to watch it with the original just because that's what I remember. And to me, it's not a hindrance right. to, to enjoying it. So my point of view on the, right. the DVD stuff is as long as they give me like you can toggle. Mm-hmm. The new effects on and off like yeah. i i don't care you know like since for people for whom that will benefit you know like they'll they'll, they'll become more invested in the story because mm-hmm. the visuals are a hindrance
0: then right. sure give it to them but as give long as i can
1: watch the original that's right. that's all i care
0: about right. exactly and as long you know unlike what happened with the star wars movies as long mm-hmm. as both presentations are preserved and given to you i think go go for it Mm-hmm. If you feel that the, that the monetary expenditure is worth replacing all of them dinosaurs, then go for it. Cause you know, there, there's still a lot of dinosaurs in that show and mm-hmm. you know, that would, it would take some effort to, yeah. and some time to replace all of those things. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'd say do it. I think it's worth it.
1: Yeah. Some I mean, the thi- it, I mean, the, it becomes easier and cheaper every day for them to exactly. do it too. Exactly. So, I mean, at some point. You know, yeah, I mean, if it, if it's if it's e- relatively easy, then, you know, you can just add it and yeah. hopefully people will rediscover the story and be like, oh, actually, it's not as you know, it's it's not bad at all. It's actually a good story.
0: And there are some of the effects replacements in Classic Who that I think have worked. And I'm thinking specifically of replacing the pink plastic snake in. I, knew, you were gonna, I knew that's what you were going to say. It, it works. The yeah. replacement works for that one. Mm-hmm. so you know it, it it's possible it is one of the better ones that was also <laughs> one of the later dvds released yes. i believe yes, yes exactly all right so where do you think invasion of the dinosaurs stacks up in the like the pertwee canon where do you where do you kind of rank it
1: Ooh, i mean i don't have a numerical i don't have no, a not number numeric, for just, you but no, no. yeah like it, it's it's in the upper like it, i would say it's in like the top fifth yeah. You know, like it's it's a really good one. I, I have quite a few of the Pertwee ones that I love a lot, mm-hmm. and um, then Malcolm Hulk is really really good writer yeah.
0: that I like. Yeah, pretty much every th- all of his stuff. So. He is, he is he is top drawer. Yeah, yeah, he is great.
1: I want to talk about Benton in this story. That is like that is the best bit. Like Benton, who's so proud of his little map that he's created where he's color coded for the dinosaur sightings and Mm -hmm. which type of dinosaur and he's so happy about it and then he's like so proud of himself for punching out general scoby uh is it (laughs) scope wait is it no scoby was spearhead Uh, wasn't it yeah yeah, whatever general I don't remember his name but like and then the brigadier is like don't make a habit of
0: exactly so <laughs> there's this, so many good bits with Benton and I absolutely adore him in this one absolutely this is a great Benton story and and I think he got some really good ones toward the end of the, the part we run mm-hmm. I think that they finally invested some some time in his character and you know no character arcs like what Yates got but I I, I don't care I, I enjoy- think they
1: probably realized that the everyman, you know, I have no, yeah. I have no data to support this, but I, I have a feeling that there probably was like an interest in the everyman character that, that Benton was. And mm-hmm. then they realized like, oh, like people kind of like, like Benton. So maybe we should give him a little more to do because, mm-hmm. you know, people like him. And so, yeah, I, yeah, I think exactly. That, that's great.
0: All right. So where can people find more of you if they're searching around and they want to hear more of your lovely voice? Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, you can go to
1: 42cast.com because that is the name of my primary podcast, which yeah. is the
0: 42 cast,
1: uh, which is the your ultimate answer to fandom geekiness and everything. And <laughs> we talk about any subject that comes into my head, and it's a different cast every time. And mm. so we talk about movies, TV shows, books, video games, sometimes like just about anything in genre fiction. Uh, I actually do two other podcasts <laughs> because I, I i I hate myself, apparently, and like want to have no free time, um, right. Yeah. So I do <laughs> I'm to do.
0: that point now with four. It's stupid. Oh, well there you go. You understand. <laughs> but but one of them is only 10 minutes long per episode. So it, yeah.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not as bad. <laughs> but yeah, um Time Streams is where my friend Juliet and I are going through all of Doctor Who from the beginning. She knows almost nothing about Doctor Who and I have done nothing but read and yeah. watch everything Doctor Who related mm-hmm. since I was a little kid. Uh so it's kind of an interesting thing of me sort of like You know, going along with somebody and being like, this is something that I love. And what do you think about it? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's been really fun because, you know, I've listened to a lot of other Doctor Who podcasts and either it's something where everybody's pretty expert or at least somewhat, you know, knows a bit about Doctor Who or they're all completely new to it. And mm-hmm. I've never had this sort of relationship before, of one person who knows and, and one who doesn't, and so I, I, I really enjoy it, and I enjoy hearing Juliet's comments about about stories. Mm-hmm. And, and at what point in the series are you? We just did the Web Planet.
0: Oh, I love that one. <laughs> I see. <laughs> also unfairly maligned. I would well, say.
1: I think so too. Uh, Juliet Excellent. was not kind. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fine we've agreed on a lot of them but uh yeah right. that one we we did definitely disagree right. uh and then the other show that i do is legendary forces where uh Juliet and i again but then three other people we're talking about all of uh, star wars fictional media uh so it's like the comics the books and everything but we're again going from the beginning and so we're reading like the really old comics and like splinter in the mind's eye which is the original novel mm-hmm. and stuff mm-hmm. like that because what i thought was interesting ha- seeing so many people argue about canon in the star wars universe is The idea of canon and sort of the evolution of how Star Wars, you know, grew out of that original movie is kind of an interesting topic to look at because a lot of people think they know what Star Wars canon is, but that's because they got into it in the 90s when there was so much. And it's Mm -hmm. like, but there's all this stuff in the 80s that was already being contradicted. So like, it's kind of interesting talking about like how it grows, but also like, was this book any
0: good, you know, just on its own merits. Right. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Well, thanks. Uh, thank you so much for sitting in with me this week. I really appreciate it. I'd love uh, fun. Next next week I'll be back with my buddy Charles Kelso, and we're gonna be talking about the two doctors. So join us again next week. We will see you around the bend. Enjoy your travels through the vortex. Thanks for listening to Doctor Who A to Z. You can find episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, and other podcast networks. Theme remix used by kind permission of Doctor Who composer Dominic Glenn. We'd love to hear from you, so please drop us a line at Doctor Who A to Z at Gmail, or leave a comment wherever you're listening. If you've enjoyed this, please subscribe and consider leaving us a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. See you next time. And until then, remember we're all stories in the end. Just make it a good one.